0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Amen, church. Amen. I'm glad to be here. Although Chris didn't tell me it was going to be 101 degrees when I touched down at the airport. It's 88 degrees in Circe, brother. Couldn't we have done this there? It is my delight to be with you tonight. And what an encouraging evening it's already been. I just loved watching the children and watching the interaction. Whoever does the puppet, brilliant. Okay, that's all I'm saying. And the quality of young men down here and I will say that I barely made my flight in in um, at DFW so everything's fine getting there but they changed my gait twice in, at DFw and when I and, and I've got a heart issue. Some of you remember when I had my heart attack, I've had a stroke. I'm not in good shape, folks. And I'm, I'm running through the corridors and the, the terminal. And but I don't know if you're very familiar with DFW, but in Terminal uh, B where I need to be, between Gate 4 and Gate 3 where I needed to be, it's about 150 yards more around the corner. And I mean, I'm huffing and puffing. And the fellow at the gate told me that they were just, I was about one minute away from them closing the gate. I mean, I, that's how close it was. They let me on, or one of you guys would have been preaching tonight. <laughs> yeah, they're all, they're all breathing a sigh of relief right now. Well, let me begin to tell you tonight, and I'm going to talk about the most important person in the church. But before we get there, there there's something, I think you know this, we most, most of us all know this, that at some point in your life, you're going to become discouraged. I don't care who you are. And it doesn't always take some catastrophic event in your life to cause you to be down and discouraged. Sometimes it can just be the everyday mundane pressures of all, uh, all time living, just, just everyday living and the stresses of life. But it doesn't matter how healthy you are, how wealthy you are, how educated you are, how spiritual you are. Every one of us becomes discouraged in life. So I want to say two things about discouragement tonight. Number one, and this is for free. Number one, you have a responsibility to encourage yourself. And there's a number of ways that you do that. Number one, get into God's Word. Study God's Word whether it's daily bible reading which is extremely important or whether it's your bible classes but get into god's word the more of god's word in you the more you keep the world and keep satan out of you the more you are able to encourage yourself everybody that comes to me virtually everyone that comes to me and says i'm really feeling down i'm very discouraged can i talk to you at some point in our conversation i'll ask them how much are you into the word and almost always, they'll tell me, not very much. So get into the Word. Another way that you encourage yourself is by prayer. I think prayer is that, that part of the Christian life that glues us all together. So you need to be praying. You need to be praying for one another, but pray for yourself, pray for your strength, pray for God to begin working in your life in all kinds of ways that you haven't yet imagined. Pray. And then these assemblies... I'm so glad to see so many people here on a hot Sunday night because this is another way that you keep a lot of the world out of you. Not only through study and prayer, but the fellowship of this church. And we preachers love to quote Hebrews 10, 25 about not forsaking the the assemblies of the church as is the habit of some. And we don't use that verse just so we can boost up our, our numbers. There's a part of that verse that says, "...and encourage one another." Do you understand that's why God calls us all together? Not not only to worship him. That's important. And if all you did was come here tonight to worship God and you go home and do nothing else, I think you failed in part for what we're supposed to come together for. Yes, you come to worship, but you also come to fellowship and encourage and strengthen one another. And so don't leave here tonight before you have encouraged someone along the way. And then the fourth thing, and this may be the most practical part of it. Count your many blessings. My apologies for not asking for that song to be sung ahead of time. just now dawned on me. Count your blessings. As I said, we all get discouraged. But I think most of us, if we will just stop and think of all the ways God still does bless us, all the ways we are blessed through our church family, and through our own personal families, if we start thinking about all the good things still in life, I dare say we have a lot more to be thankful for than the things that we have to complain about. Years ago, Lael and I had a... Uh, there was a dear family in the church where I was in Kaufman, Texas, First, my first pulpit. There was a lady by the name of Sherry Andrus. And one night at church... Sherry Andrus fell, and she didn't understand why. She just got dizzy and fell. So she went to the doctor the next day, and while at the doctor, they discovered through some blood work and some other tests that she had MS. And as you can see by the picture, she's African-American. I wouldn't even tell you that except for this one fact. This strain of MS, this muscular sclerosis, seems to attack the African-American community harder than it does any other group. And it viciously attacked her body. Within one year, she would be completely bedridden or in a wheelchair. Within six months, it attacked her so aggressively that she was completely blind. I used to sit on the front row at Kaufman, And Sherry Andrus and all of her family of about three or four generations, they would sit in the pews right behind me, right in this area. And so I would listen to her sing. Sherry Andrus had a beautiful a melodious voice. And she could still continue to sing as best she could, even despite being in a wheelchair. And her family would still try to bring her as often as she could to come to church, and I would listen to her sing. It began to contract her hands up close to her face, and she couldn't, they just remained there for the, the last several months of her life. It was kind of a pitiful situation uh, just to see. On occasion, I'd go see Sherry Andrus in the hospital. And I would think, what am I going to say to help this woman, this dear Christian woman, feel better? And I would get there. You ever visit one of those, Chris, where they encourage you a whole lot more than you ever did them? And that's exactly what Sherry Andrus did for me. Because I would talk to her, and she would start rattling off all the reasons she had to be thankful. Now, her hands were by her face. She was almost in a fetal position in her bed. But she was so thankful. She said, my husband, Ron, never leaves my side when I'm in the hospital. I have four children. They're all baptized. They're all going to heaven. And she just began to count all of the reasons why she had to be thankful. I never once heard her complain about her MS. And I remember going home one day and I told my wife, I said, if you ever hear me complaining, getting getting this, my woe is me, pity party me, just say two words. Say Sherry Andrus, and I'll get the point. So, so that's, that's all free, all right? Th- that's not even part of the lesson yet. The second thing I want you to know about encouragement is not only do we have the responsibility to, to encourage ourselves, but we also have the God-given responsibility to encourage one another. And so if I ask you, who is that one person in the Bible who is known as an encourager, we will all say unanimously. Now, say it with some conviction. There you go, all right? We all know it. Now, it's not even his name. We know from Acts 4 and verse 36 that he is a man who is a Levite from the place called Cyprus, but his real name is Joseph. Barnabas is a nickname that the apostles gave to him. And I wonder, what do you have to do? How much do you have to improve the attitudes and lives of other people that the leaders of the church will call you Barnabas, which means son of an encourager, son of encouragement. That's the kind of man he is. So let me, if you got your Bibles, just kind of go to Acts chapter 2. We're going to kind of walk through the Bible, the the, the book of Acts for just a little bit. And we know what happens in Acts 2. Peter is standing before that large crowd of people on the day of Pentecost, and he preaches that first gospel message, and 3,000 obey the gospel. They give their lives over to Jesus. They're immersed in the waters of baptism. 3,000, and they begin their walk with Christ. And it doesn't take very long. In fact, when you get to Acts chapter 4, there's persecution against the church. There's trouble, and there's pressure and a lot of these new Christians are starting to have some questions. Have I done the right thing? Was this the right choice for me, for my family? I mean, we were, we were living a good life and a peaceful life in Judaism, but now that we've become a Christian, things are getting tough. Some of my friends are no longer my friends. They won't even talk to me. And businesses in the marketplace... I'm finding it increasingly more difficult to sell or to buy. People won't do any business with me. People won't sell to me because I'm a Christian. Have you ever had what we call buyer's remorse? I usually get that when I bought a brand new car. Don't you? I get in that dealership and I was looking for one kind of a car and a lot less money, but you get in there and you open up one of these doors and you get that new car smell. Boy, if they ever make a woman's perfume out of real good new car smell, I'm, I'm sunk. But you get in there, and you sit in that comfortable leather seat, and you see all the dashboard looks like the Apollo spaceship. I mean, bells and whistles and DVD players and GPS, and, and, and all of a sudden, you, you, you walk out of the dealership with a little bit more car than you intended to get. And it doesn't take very many days And you're riding around in this car and you start thinking about how many monthly payments you're going to have to make. And then you start thinking, have I done the right thing? What have I done? This thing is going to cost me a fortune by the time it's over. Maybe that's what some of these new Christians are feeling. What have I done? What have I done to my family, to my future? Life was good in Judaism. Now life has become very difficult. But then someone like Barnabas comes along. He puts that great big arm of fellowship around them and says, don't be too discouraged. The best decision you ever made in life was to become a child of God in the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't get down. Don't worry. In fact, Barnabas, along with others, They would even take, and this is uh, chapter 4, verses 34, 35, 36. They take a piece of land, and they sell that land, and they bring the proceeds to the apostles. They lay it at the feet so that if there's anyone who is in need, can I give you another word? If there was anyone among them discouraged in life, they could help meet those needs of one another. Barnabas was an encourager. But you keep reading along in the book of Acts. Now, the church is growing, but the more it grows, the more pressure that comes on the church, the more persecution that comes on the church, even to the point Stephen has been killed. Peter and John were arrested. At one time, all the apostles were arrested. Now, Stephen's been killed. I mean, things are getting difficult, even dangerous in the church, and then along comes Saul. Saul of Tarsus. And he started to wreak havoc on the church i mean he just was tearing it apart i've seen what it means to wreak havoc i've got a 110 pound german shepherd in my backyard and when he gets a hold of a tetherball he wreaks havoc on i mean he just gets in there and he can't he has to murder it there's no other word for it that's what saul of tarsus is doing to the church he is just wreaking havoc and on the way to damascus the bright light he hears the voice of Jesus next thing you know he's in the city of Damascus where he doesn't eat anything drink anything for three days until Ananias comes to preach the gospel to him and this Saul of Tarsus who was a persecutor of the church now finds out once he gives his life to Jesus he's going to be a preacher in the church and so he is converted he's able to see again And the first thing Saul of Tarsus does, he goes right into the synagogues and he starts preaching about the resurrected Jesus. And the Jews don't like it. And in fact, they want to kill him. He's a turncoat, he was their champion. He was was the one that they were all depending on to destroy this church. Now he's going to go out there and support it and preach about it. They want him dead. News gets back to some of the disciples. You remember how he gets out of the city? They let him over or out of the wall through a basket and let him down. He's able to escape the city of Damascus with his life. And you keep reading, he wants to go to Jerusalem a time later. And when he comes to Jerusalem, all he wants to do is join himself with the fellowship of believers. But his reputation far precedes him. The Jews are trying to kill him. Now, the Christians don't want anything to do with him. They may have had friends or family members who were imprisoned by him, maybe put to death by him. They don't want anything to do with this Saul of Tarsus. Can you imagine how discouraged Saul is? I mean, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was everything the Jews wanted another Jew to be. He was an up and rising star in the Sanhedrin council. His political career had no ends in sight he could go as far as he wanted he had it made in judaism and now all of that's gone now the jews want to kill him and the jews i mean the christians don't want anything to do with him and then along comes barnabas and Barnabas takes Saul of Tarsus to the apostles. I don't know what, it's, what he said. I wish that, that the scriptures gave us a little insight to what was said about this man Saul. But somehow he works it out with the apostles. So that the church embraces Saul as a brother in Christ. Well, keep on reading and you come to Acts chapter 11 where the focus of the church seems to change. It changes from Jerusalem now to the church that is in Antioch. Because of the persecution, Christians are going everywhere. And the church is now founded there in Antioch, and it's growing. In fact, it says that the hand of the Lord, verse 21, the hand of the Lord was on them. The church is growing. Well, back in Judah, back in Jerusalem, the church there finds out what's going on in Antioch, and they want to encourage it. They want to help support that work. They need to send someone to go help that church continue to grow And to magnify God. Now who would they send? Well let me ask you. If there was another church somewhere that just needed some encouragement. Maybe somewhere far out of the Bible belt. But they've got a good work going. They're trying to do something in in a small community. And this church hears about them and wants to send one or two or three people. To go and really help this church out. Who would they send from among you? Maybe more importantly... Could they send you? Would you even be on the short list of those they consider encouragers? Well, they start to look around, and there's no one like him. So they send Barnabas to Antioch. And he begins to work there. In fact, he's filled with the Spirit. The the Scripture says he's doing a good work. He works there for just a short time. Things are still growing, and, and then he remembers there's a fella who needs to be a part of this work. Saul of Tarsus is still down in Damascus. Excuse me, down in Tarsus. And some, some of the scholars, some of the commentaries said, it's been about 10 years since Saul of Tarsus was converted until he finally comes to Antioch. About a 10-year span. He's, been, he's down in Tarsus doing nothing. Just waiting on the next step. Waiting for the Lord to tell him what's next. So Barnabas travels down and he gets that fella. And he brings him to Antioch knowing full well that God had called this man to be the apostle to the Gentile world. And Antioch was as Gentile as you could get. So he goes down and gets Saul of Tarsus knowing he is going to do far more in the church than Barnabas will. Barnabas is a better man, I think, than I would be. Not many preachers are going to go find another preacher to come work side by side with them, knowing that they're going to do a better job and get more recognition than he would re- receive. But you see, there's not a competitive bone in Barnabas's body. He brings Saul of Tarsus up to Antioch with him. They work together for a Lord, and and the church still just continues to grow and grow because Barnabas is an encourager. But the story doesn't stop there. You keep going. I'm going to turn my iPad back on because I'm going to need something here in a minute. You keep going. You come to chapters 13 and 14 and 15, And now the church there in Antioch is going to send a couple of fellas. The Lord says, separate Barnabas and Saul to me. They're going on a mission trip. And so they're getting ready to go on that first missionary journey. And they take off. They have a fellow with them by the name of John Mark. He's the one that wrote the gospel of Mark in in your Bible. And they take off, and it's a hard journey. There's problems. In fact, things get really tough. So tough that at one point at Pamphylia, the young man John Mark abandons them. He leaves the trip, goes back home. And so, Barnabas and Paul, as he's now going to be called, he didn't change his name. Saul is his Jewish name. His Roman name is Paul. But now he's called Paul in the book of Acts. And they finish that journey and they come back to Antioch and not too long... They're going to go on a second missionary journey. And guess what? John Mark wants to go with them again. Barnabas says, okay, love to have you. Paul says, not on your life. In fact, these two dear old friends are at odds over this man, John Mark. So much so that the the conflict is rather severe that... They can no longer work together. So Barnabas takes John Mark and they go off in this direction on a missionary trip. The Apostle Paul takes Silas. They go in another direction. And now the gospel is going powerfully in two different directions. Because Barnabas is an encourager. Now I'm going to stop there and I'm going to give you an opinion. It's okay if you don't share this opinion. You can be wrong if you want to. This is just my opinion. But I wonder, I wonder, would John Mark ever become the author of the Gospel of Mark had it not been for Barnabas? And I wonder, would the church there in Antioch? Would they have ever become this great missionary church if it were not for the encouragement of Barnabas? And I wonder, would Saul of Tarsus truly ever really become the great apostle Paul had it not been for the encouragement of Barnabas? And I wonder, I wonder how many of those Christians in the earliest days of the church in Jerusalem, how many of them would have given up and gone right back to their life of Judaism had it not been for the encouragement of people like Barnabas. It's just my opinion. And I know there was Peter and James and John and Paul, but it's my opinion that Barnabas was the most important person in the church, especially in those beginning years. There's an interesting verse in the book of Job. Job chapter 4 and verse 4. Where Now, Job's friends often said the wrong thing, but sometimes they would say the right thing. But here's something that they said uh, in Job chapter 4 and verse 4. Job, you have supported those who have stumbled. Another translation says, Job, you have kept men on their feet. That may be the best definition of encouragement I could ever come up with. You've kept men on their feet. When they're out of breath, their knees are weak, they're about to falter, you kept men going. You kept them on their feet. See, that's what encouragement does. That's what these young men who are thinking about going into a life of ministry, they are going to need lots of encouragement, not only in these days, but for the rest of their life in ministry. Because encouragement is what keeps churches going and growing. If you show me a church without encouragement, I will show you a church that is decaying and dying. Encouragement keeps churches going. It keeps preachers preaching. It keeps elders eldering, deacons deaconing, teachers teaching. It keeps people on their feet and keeps us going when we might be tempted to quit. Let's talk about encouragement in a practical way just for a moment. Here's what encouragement looks like in a church like this. Let's suppose you've got someone in your church and they're, they're very ill and they're going to have a long extended stay in the hospital. Maybe they're going to undergo very serious surgery. So they're in the hospital. How many people who are in the hospital, how many visitors from this church should they get while they're in the hospital? I don't know but it ought to be a lot of a church this size. How many cards or flowers should they receive while they're in the hospital? I don't know, but it should be a lot. And if someone loses a husband or a wife or another family member and they're grieving, how many cards and flowers and visits And and attendees at the visitation, the funeral. How much attention should they receive? I don't know. I just know it should be a lot. And if you have a guest that comes in your doors on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening, how many people ought to walk up to them and say, Who are you? We're glad you're here. Come sit with me. If you're not doing anything for lunch, would you come to my house? Or can we take you to a restaurant to eat as soon as church is over? Can I help you find a Bible class, maybe for your children? If someone comes into this assembly who is a guest, who is a visitor, how much attention should they receive? I don't know, but it should be a lot because that's called encouragement. Maybe you've read the book or seen the movie Marley and Me. I've, I've done both. The book Yes, I'm one of these. The book's better. It was. It was just like the, the movie was just like the book. The movie was great too. But Marley and Me is a story about a yellow Labrador retriever who is adopted into this uh, couple's family before they had children. And, and, and this dog grows up. And just becomes a part of the family. And and the the story just wraps itself around the bombastic enthusiasm that is in this dog. And a lot of the story is about the wildness and the mayhem. And all the problems that um, Marley gets into. And all the problems that he makes for the family. But Marley has this one gift. Yes, he's trouble. He's mayhem. But he has this one gift. He can make everyone in the family feel special. That's his gift. Well, as the story goes, Marley grows old and begins to become weaker. Can't get around as much. Can't see very well. He's growing old. And eventually, Marley is gone. And when Marley dies, the main character, the father in the story, gives a very touching eulogy about his dog, Marley. And he makes a very poignant comparison between Marley and humans. And here's what he says. A dog has no use for fancy cars or big homes or designer clothes. A waterlogged stick will do just fine. A dog doesn't care if you are rich or poor, clever or dull. Give him your heart and he will give you his. And then here's the last line in the book, the very last line in the movie. How many people can you say that about? How many people can make you feel rare? And pure and special. How many people can make you feel extraordinary? I don't know, but it ought to be a lot. Because this is a large church filled with people who have been cleansed and saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and who have been filled with the Holy Spirit of god do you understand if you are filled with god's spirit and you're filled with the fruit of those spirit of love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control i may have eight out of the nine do you understand that you have more potential than any person or any dog on earth to make other people feel extraordinary God's put that in you as a child of His, walking by His Spirit. That's what will keep this church going. It'll keep your preacher preaching. It'll keep your elders shepherding. It'll keep your servants serving. If every one of us will be the most important person in this church, an encourager. Maybe we can encourage you tonight. Maybe we... We can pray with you or help you in some spiritual need. If you have any kind of need at all, please, while we stand up and sing this song, let us know how we can serve you.